Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. <laughs> yeah? Goldfinger! Mm-hmm. What made yeah. you think of that? Just sitting here, being Goldfinger. <laughs> Sounds a little dirty in retrospect. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, right? Mm-hmm. How would how would a normal guy like me get to be Goldfinger? <laughs> if there's there's no good there's no good option unless unless you think like peanut butter is gold. I think the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> Carnegie, practice, you practice, kill me. practice. This isn't it, uh, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, Dale Dale Carnegie. How to win friends and make it to my hall? I pronounced that wrong, didn't I? I don't know. But Dale, Dale Carnegie. He's the he's the steel and, he's, and he's the steel magnet, right? Are diff- no, those are different Carnegies. But he's a magnet. He is a magnet. Do you pronounce this differently? Magnate. You say magnate, magnate, like potentate. I say, I say magnate. Yeah. yeah. But I uh, but I, I I've been recently I've been kind of called out on on my, the pronunciation of the word dearth because I pronounce it Darth. I always have. Oh. There's a Darth. There's a Darth of available gals at this party. And, yeah, I and, think we have. I think we actually have uh, a program, an episode of our visits uh, called Darth Darth of Options. Oh, so we've covered this. Already. No, 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 no. Because I never. Can I be honest? I never used to worry about how I pronounce things, and now I'm becoming a little self conscious about it. If, if it isn't obvious. Some of the some of the ways that you pronounce things are spectacular. I have to say, it's one of you, it's one of the great things about you. Uh, cl- clitoris, <laughs> your special pronunciations. <laughs> well, no, I think clitoris is that's within the clitoris. That's, that's within the realm. Clitoris, clitoris. That's tomato, tomato. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, Carnegie Hall. I'm we should sh- probably we should probably start over. I, I you know, <laughs> I, I think you know me. I don't I like to stress too much about these things, but I worry that it hurts my credibility. That you that you you're afraid that people. Are, uh, don't take you seriously because you mispronounce words. Uh, I think there's plenty of reasons to not take me seriously, but <laughs> right. But the, but your mispronunciation of words is so intentional. Do you think it's so? largely it's largely intentional? Yes. Yeah, but maybe I'm just throwing those in to kind of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, you know, the, I I feel that being book learned, being self educated, <laughs> pronounced book learned. Being self-educated via books is nothing to be ashamed of, and when people like swoop in and say, and 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 get all like get their panties riding high because you mispronounce something when you're using the word properly, it's just that you learned it from a book. <laughs> like that, there's no shame in that. I think it's a huge problem. Now, I've, I've talked to a, a bunch of people about this. Oh, God, I'm so reluctant to even bring this up. There's been a, a we can start. We can cut all this out. We'll cut all this out. That, well, for example, and I don't actually let's avoid saying the word, but there is a certain graphical file format that has, for years, been pronounced very GIF. differently. GIF. It's a GIF. But I, I think it goes back to the same root problem, which today, even even for people as aged as as us, yeah. I, I so much of what I've learned 
uh, in the last, I'm hesitant to use that word, so much of what years. I've gleaned <laughs> in the last, so much of what I've almost gleaned, gleaned, <laughs> so much, I'm going to start pronouncing everything in a Shakespearean way. Oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag. Oh, yeah, like my communications See, professor. See, I can quote T.S. Eliot, but I don't know how to say uh, Carnegie Hall. Uh, my communications professor at the University of Washington 20 years ago said, uh, when, uh, when a word, sa- when a word the definition of a word is the sound that, of the word. That's called onomatopoeia. On, onomatopoetic. Onomatopoeia. Oh, from the Greek. From the Greek. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I, of course, raised my hand and was like, I've heard that a lot as onomatopoeia. And he leapt up on his desk and he was like, exactly wrong. Everyone pronounces that word wrong. It's onomatopoeia. So I've been pronouncing it that way. For twenty years, just oh, sometimes you just want to, and you know, just an homage of this guy. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, artisanal has roots in this. I mean, you know, the the. But here, here, okay. So here's the problem: is that much of what I have almost finished reading in in the last uh, ten to fifteen years has come from the internet or internet, as you say. Sure. And uh, and I have talked about this with so many of my friends. I've heard people on 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 podcasts uh, saying, "I don't really know how to say this word." I've I've read this word dozens or in many cases maybe even hundreds of times i know so much about this topic but i or this person's name like i've been reading the reading what this person says for so long but <laughs> this is so embarrassing but i don't know have you encountered that like you you read something over and over and then the first time you find yourself uh vocalizing the word you have no idea how to actually say it yeah I, that happens to me constantly but uh, but i feel like the most embarrassing example of this was when I was about 10 years old. I was with my dad somewhere. Uh, and it was like a Rotary Club meeting. It wasn't a restaurant or something. It was a Rotary Club meeting where, where there were lots of guys in bolo ties. It was a, you know, import, there, were, there were men around. And uh, I was standing there talking to my dad and somebody said something, you know, or he, he, he replied to some, some conversational gambit in a way that seemed to my 10-year-old mind, you know, uh, slightly dubious. And I went, oh, pshaw. <laughs> and mm. it was like a, re- it was like a, uh, the stylus across a record, like, reek! You might as well have said, oh, my stars and garters. <laughs> well, 10, ga- 10 fully grown adult men looked down at me and s- like aghast. And my dad said, did you just tell me to piss off? What? And I was like, huh? no. Uh, Peshaw, 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 P-S-H-A-W, Peshaw, because I had been reading... I think that's an onomatopoietic. But it isn't. Peshaw, this is the funny thing, Peshaw is a, is a comic book rendering of... Psh- oh, it's like Bressa Fressa Snaggle Bressa? It's yeah. like a fake cursing? It's not a word. It's just a sound... That you, you you would only think was a word because you had read it in comic books or in novels. Are you kidding me? No, it's not a word. I, I thought it, it was like a Scarlett O'Hara thing. I thought something that the ladies said no. when they were no. saying, "Oh, I'm discounting what you said." No, it's just a sound that it's a it's it is a, it is it is yeah onomatopoeia or it is it is the expression of a sound of air escaping in frustration, and and my dad la- he laughed, but. It was a hard laugh. And, and he, <laughs> he was laughing at you. <laughs> and he said, that's not a word. That is a, you are, you are, you know, he explained it to me. And I, I mean, I was 
tomato red because all these, you know, these guys, 1980 in Alaska, some of these guys had, had, you know, killed a moose with their bare hands or whatever. (laughs) And they, and they, 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 they turned so fast, you know, they heard piss off from me and turned so fast. It was like the room got ice cold and I'm standing there trying to explain like, no, it's like in mad magazine when somebody says, you know, Snorkel frass or whatever, and they're like, Brassa, frassa, snaggle, brassa. <laughs> not having it, not having it. Well, was, it, so, more, was it more that you were, uh, was it more that you were um, sounding insulting or, or that you were saying something nonsensical? No, once they understood, once they understood that it was just a case of me, uh, uh, it was, you know, it's an example of precociousness. You have read more than you, than you know. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have read more than you can support. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, I think then, it was Foucault that first discussed that in him. <laughs> <laughs> they were ki- they were you know disposed more kindly to me when they realized that I wasn't you know that I wasn't like actually saying piss off, which was a thing I was about to get hit for. I never but, I've never heard that. But I realized then. That there, that there were tons and tons of words that I, that I was, that I was saying very confidently. And when I really looked at them in books, I realized that I had transposed the, uh, the vowels or I, I had left out a key syllable. Oh, like you started, you've seen it so much. You started chunking it like incorrectly. Right. Or I had a lot of times I'd added an extra syllable to words just because it seemed like that that was a much better word than the actual word. Uh, well, like, more more like, syllables definitely helps. I mean, it makes you sound a little fancier if you can come up with a longer Latinate word. Like, for right? instance... Latinate, the, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The word physiognomy... Oh, physiognomy. I, for a long time, I pronounced it physiognomy. physiognomy. Oh. Physiognomy. Oh. And, and at a certain point... I I pronounced it wrong and and then couldn't figure out the correct pronunciation and now I just I mostly leave it out of conversation because I can't like physiognomy physiognomy you may be operating at too high a level be a <laughs> I think that's true in writing I, I um I mean I, I really I finally bought our uh, our household uh, uh, an actual big Webster's dictionary. Because yeah. I used to, you know, like you, I used to love reading, you know, reference books, encyclopedia, encyclopedia, encyclopedia. I'm going to start using more diphthongs and ligatures. That's a great guide by Voices EP. But the, um, but, but, you know, uh, and again, I will find myself looking up pronunciations and stuff. But it's funny because, you know, I used to think, you know, if you're not, a lot of people think it's lazy to look things up in a thesaurus. Or, well, I mean, if you're using a thesaurus to try to come up with a 75 cent word. Oh, I see what you mean. That is, that's like, if you want to try and sound fancier, you know, I think that's, I wouldn't, you know, roundly criticize that. It's not the smartest thing to do, no. but I, I mean, you know, if you read the actual real Roger's thesaurus, which I think the first entry is existence, it, uh-huh. you know, it starts, you know, most of us are used to the dictionary style. I'm probably gonna get this wrong. It looks so stupid. But the, the, the dictionary style thesaurus that we're used to is very closer to like a rhyming dictionary almost. You say yeah. antonyms and synonyms for blah, blah, blah. But the actual Roger's thesaurus is almost philosophical in some yeah, ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So and, you can read it. You can read it like, uh, I, I mean, I, for a long time, I kept one in the bathroom and would just, when I was in there, <laughs> when I was in there for an extended period, I would just like read it, you know, browse it. Because it's full of so many 
like beautiful. It's like it's like on style or um, right. Writing, like any of those uh, books, on like, writing well. Oh god, I love that book. Mm-hmm. That book, I, I I forget that book at my peril all the time. Yeah, you should leave it in the bathroom. I, I have I have a book on. Um, the Unix operating system and a, a book on writing next to the toilet. Yeah. And let's be honest. Penthouse. Mm, I was going to say the, the uh, omnibus of Wilberforce or whatever. Uh, Will, Wildebeest. <laughs> What's his name? The guy, the, guy with the, the guy with the swords that come out of his hand. Will, Will, Wildeforce. <laughs> Snicked. Whatever. Wilberforce. <laughs> um oh God. I, I could talk about that stuff all not not that, but the the, the word stuff. But yeah. I think one good reason to I mean, I think okay, on the one hand, this sounds contradictory, contradictory. Is that if you don't know if you don't if you're about to use a word and you don't know what it means, it pays favorite to look episode it up. already. This is my favorite episode. Oh, I'm so sorry. Contradictory. We should, we're gonna cut all of this out. <laughs> I'm gonna start telling you about the musicians I don't like in a minute, but we, um, but but you know, one good thing about a thesaurus is that for well, first of all, you can look up a word and see if they're. Well, on the one hand, a dictionary will tell you like where the word came from, and so you might discover that there might be, especially if you're writing something like verse, you might discover that there's an uh, an implication to the use of that word, right? That exactly. You might not know exactly a tone to it, a temperature to the word. Absolutely. I mean, I'll each make every word count or whatever they said. But but also in a thesaurus, you have the opportunity to see, is there a better word, ideally maybe even a shorter word or a more precise word that will let you remove other words? This is incredibly boring. But I think oh, if you do true. that, if you get into the habit of doing that, um, you not only build your vocabulary, I think you become a, a slightly better thinker because you yeah. realize that there might be a better way to put this and that's how you, as they say, learn. Yeah. Well, and that is the – that I mean – the reason there are synonyms, every single one of them, I mean, synonym is even maybe a misnomer. Every single one of those words has a different, has a different temperature that it conveys, and it, and and that is that's that's encoded in its root and encoded in the way it's been used and popularized. Did I did I when we were talking about um, worldwide words the other day? Did mm-hmm. I mention to you that he contacted me? Are you kidding me? No, he wrote me a letter and he was like. Hello, is this the John Roderick from Roderick on the Line? Yes, I'm the man from Worldwide Words, and I just wanted to say that I got a lot of new subscribers from you. My, I just lost my. I had a high. I think accent. you moved. You moved to somewhere I, some, I, south I, of London, maybe. Yeah, I, got, sure. I, I was all of a sudden in Brompton. <laughs> I was in Bromley when I had started in, in Avon. But anyway, he was like, he was like, I got a bunch of new subscribers from your program and I wanted to thank you. That's lovely. And it was, it was nice. And that, you know, everybody, the more etymologists, the better. Oh uh, man, you could do worse. And you know, it, it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, funny. It's funny to me that like some of those people, like I really enjoy, uh, was it Jeffrey Numberg, the guy, the guy on Fresh Air. I, I love that stuff. I, I started following after you'd mentioned that. I started. Uh, I think of Wordnik is the one that I looked at, uh, mm. and and it, and it reminds. It's funny because you're saying Pasha. It, it reminds me of they had a thing on cursing. I think that's where I read this. But it was, mm. there was a thing about you know her, cursing, and of course I think it was Jeffrey Numberg that wrote this book called like you know the history of the word asshole and stuff like that. But um, I think I, I, apparently it was an interview with somebody about cursing. But and there's so you you must you must know this, but so many of the funny phrases like, you know, Jiminy Cricket or hmm. uh, cheese and crackers, or like there's all these ways that you could avoid saying Jesus Christ. Right. Jiminy Christmas. Exactly. 
Yeah. But, but, you know, they asked this person, for example, and I, I'm, I think that's so interesting. Like you learned Peshaw, right? Um, yeah. but, but also asking what it is that's a commonality and how these things have changed over time. And like one of the very few ones that's been there all along has been, uh, it, it, let's just say a reverence about God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's one, uh, scatology. And I think the sexuality of people in your family comes up a lot in cursing. Right. And right. Uh, it, tells, it tells you something about the culture, though. Like the God ones have become – people are much more permissive about a goddamn or, sure. or a Jesus Christ or whatever. Well, because gosh darn became so – I mean, there was a time when you legitimately said gosh darn, and then it became uh, so opi uh, that you might as well say goddamn. Yeah, Nobody, you, just, you see somebody putting their thumbs under their suspenders or something like that. But, but as, a, as, a, as a devoted reader of Mad Magazine – uh, throughout my whole childhood, I started probably reading Mad when I was, I'm, I have to say, like five, maybe. Wow. Um, and read it until, read it until really until the quality of, of Mad declined. I mean, I would, I would still be reading it if it hadn't kind of gone in the shitter. But like Don Martin, in is that, particular, is that the guy with the floppy feet and the onomatopoetics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like his sort of like. Zizzwap, Kasplotin, <laughs> You know his kind of his way of 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 uh, of writing out sounds and and I mean it was so key to his storytelling. And I think for for many years I had a whole separate lexicon of sound effects. And I find that I stand. I, I don't know if you do this, and I and I don't know if if uh, if like the majority of our listeners do too. But I punctuate my day with audible sound effects <laughs> you know like if i'm alone and i'm walking through my house it's like zapow zap zing bonk. like everything i'm doing if i push a button if i turn a if i turn a knob it's like boink clink zing you know i'm giving i'm i'm punctuating it with these noises because i think i i my my experience was so touched by by reading mad and and I do it with my little girl. You know, I'm walking around with the two year old, and everything we do, I just I add a little exclamation point to like, pow, pow pishing, and I mean she, I'm mean, she's going to grow up thinking the world is a very different place than it actually is, and it's. I mean, I have to give her something to hate me for. Yeah, you'll you'll come up with something. I, I do. I do it just. Two things, two things, and you know the thing is, I'm so unself-aware that if I'm aware of it, I must do it even more than I think. Um, I have, I have so many of those mm-hmm. that long before I mean, my daughter became like a, you know, you know, a handy way to to, to blame my sound effects and my my, my, hmm. my various fully things that I do. With her. Uh, full fully noises, right? Yeah, yeah. but there's 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 certain repeating ones. Uh, uh, bonk would be a big one. That bonk can be used for lots of things. I do, I use bonk fifty times a day. Oh, I use bonk constantly. Like you know, you you bump into something, go bonk, you know, bonk. or something, or like lots of game show sounds. You know, like a or of course, <laughs> wah, wah, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of this. But the other thing I do, um, I, I was, I mean, it's so funny. There's so many different ways to talk to yourself. For example, like there are some people, I think when we think of somebody talking to themselves, I think there's like a spectrum. On the one hand, there's like somebody, somebody, you know, I, I, I told you that story, I told you a story a long time ago about 
about that lady at the library where it sounded like she's having a very heated conversation. And I, I turned around <laughs> the corner. And said, you don't talk to me like that. I you know, told her. I said to And it's, it's, she's speaking in this whispering voice. She said, and I told her, that's not, you're not, not going to treat me like that. And she said, and I looked around and she was, she was very, very heatedly talking to no one at all. Right. She was talking to the drinking. That's, problem. that's, she was talking to Dewey Decimal. That's, <laughs> that's one end of the continuum. But all along the way, there's stuff like thinking to yourself so much that you might as well be talking to yourself. There are some people who just kind of have this little monologue where they might even like be moving their mouth a little bit while they're talking. You know what I mean? But, um, my constant companion is the Welsh troll. I walk around the house and I go, Oh, good job. Nicely done. Oh, oh the well, oh, of course, this is, this is a spill that will be easy to clean up. Oh, you know, and we're awarding gold ribbons today for it's, the it's guy. Really, it really is that real, that present. For, yeah, for the guy, for the guy who can't load the dishwasher. And wow, you, he sounds and you are, really sarcastic. You are the number one contestant. <laughs> you are, you are in the, you are in the finalist round. And I'm saying all this out loud. I don't do it when anybody's around. But you know, it's it's what I do instead of listen to the radio. Yeah, <laughs> I, listen, I listen to what, whoever that other person is in my head. Just constantly berate me like the wickedest, like the wickedest stepmother that ever was. Wow. Yeah. So it's a blast because, you know, everyone's, everyone's, you never get lonely. (laughs) Every once in a while, I will, you know, rise up and be like, you know what? Shut the fuck up for once. Why don't you? (laughs) Press a pretzel, snickle pretzel. We have, we have such fun. We laugh. We kid about it. Uh, Hmm. That's, I, I hate hearing that. I, I used to I, I used to think oh I don't talk to myself or and but the thing is it is I don't think it's that difficult I think if you're really honest with yourself a lot of us you would realize that there are various ways you talk to yourself that because you because you're not that lady you know at the Leon County Library literally talking to herself or talking to someone who's not there because because like my other thing I do is I have little. I don't know if it's the right phrase, like traveling music. I have, I have little, <laughs> and there's a little, there's a little song I always hum that when I put my daughter on my shoulders and we, we sing it together. Now we go, and I don't know why we do it, but we do. Or I might make a little, like, <laughs> so it's, sort of, it's triumphal, like uh, horn, horn music that you would play when the king enters. The room. Yeah, like a trumpet voluntary or something, you know? Yeah. I think so, but you know what's funny about both of those is they're so, even the, the game show stuff, I think, is based on this. It's so heavily based in comics and cartoons. Right. If you think about it, where, where you have to express and overexpress something in a way that can be conveyed, you know, to the reader or, or the, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess in some ways that counts as talking to yourself. I, I think nobody wants to admit it because yeah. it does seem so crazy. But I mean, what do you, that's that phrase, interior monologue or interior, right. you know, interior dialogue or interior, you know, interior uh, study yeah. session, <laughs> <laughs> interior uh, parliamentary procedure. I, I, the, the classic example of this, I probably told you was the, the woman I was walking past on the street on Broadway one day. And, you know, she was like a little, kind of a little old lady, maybe 65 years old. <laughs> and she had a sweatshirt on, which she had appliqued, appliqued. With like you know flowers and and uh, sequins and colorful paint, and she had very carefully stitched in big letters across the front of her sweatshirt, "Don't yell at me." <laughs> right, 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 right. Don't the "Don't yell at me" sweatshirt. Yes, and I yes. I saw this woman, and she was just out for a day by herself, kind of standing <laughs> on the corner of Broadway and John, holding her purse in her "Don't yell at me" sweatshirt. And I was like, 
who is that message for? Like either that is either that is a sweatshirt that she made for her husband's benefit and she wears around the house and somehow she got out of the house wearing it. Or that's a sweatshirt that she made just as a general announcement. <laughs> she prefers not to be yelled at and she wants to she wants to get ahead of the horse cart. <laughs> right. Or or whether she's whether she's sending that message to to you know forces that the rest of us can't see or comprehend. Well, it like, must be working. I you know, know, you wouldn't wear it more than once. But here's the thing. Oh, that's a, yeah, true. Well, yeah, but I mean, the um, it, clearly it was homemade. So, so oh, yeah. one, it looks like probably she made it. Maybe it was a gift. <clears throat> but even still, she's wearing it, right? A gift. She might. She might have a friend who has seen it or something. That's, that's a wrinkle. <laughs> dun dun dun. There's well, some. so. So you remember, I, I incorporated that motto mm-hmm. in one of the very earliest Long Winters t-shirts, which was based on the, the White Castle hamburger logo. And then right in the center of the White Castle hamburger uh, castle, it says in you know, small letters, don't yell at me. Well, and now that you've alienated enough of your friends, colleagues, uh, and associates, it, I think we can also say that, that you, you would often refer, if I remember correctly, you would remember, you would um, refer to the, the let your... You called Barsook the Don't Yell at Me label. You called it Don't Yell at Me music. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. And very so very there was gentle, all, very, very gentle, very all, intimate. All the baby rock at that time was Don't Yell at Me music. Right. So please, we're not going to yell. Please don't yell what at is that? Looking back at that, what, if you unpack that today, what, is, what does that mean as you look back at it? Uh, what, what, was, what did that movement represent? Well, I mean... Hearing you say that at the time, I would think of, to be honest, like maybe half a dozen bands that were amongst my absolute favorite bands. But I knew, I felt like I knew exactly what you meant when yeah. you said that. But the don't not not to you know take this apart too much. But it, you're kind of don't yell at me has this implication of like on the one hand, like it's going to be gentle, gentle music, but it's also going to be maybe it's kind of intimate like i'm telling you things about myself i'm i'm disclosing these these intimate things about myself uh, right. but but it, i don't know there's something also to it there's this like deeper sensitivity i don't know well i mean i i i feel like from 1980 to 1994 no matter what genre of music you chose to be a fan of or what you or chose to pursue everybody was Everybody was going for full bombast all the time, like pop music, rock music, metal music, country music. Every genre was was go- getting bigger, 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 bigger. Right? Punk rock music, loud, screamy. Heavy rock music, loud, screamy. Heavy metal music, loud, screamy. Duran Duran. It was there was there, there was there were no moments in a Duran Duran song where they like got real. Right, I mean, the cure, all the you're way. Right. Everything, things. It's a very general statement, but I agree. Uh, things got more bombastic. To quote my friend yeah. Richard, it's all overture. Like, there's a lot of stuff that there, there wasn't much development. A lot of the time, it was almost right. it was like all chorus, like all huge, huge, huge. And grunge was huge, huge, huge. And by '94, I mean, there there was a whole generation of musicians for whom the idea of making music that sounded like seals and crofts 
was radical, revolutionary, uh, a complete like overturning of the old guard, and that that conscientious like uh, removal of distortion, the removal of the of not just yelling but even like masculine singing, and replacing it with breathy acoustic quietness and quietude of thought. I mean, all the way back to like, like going back to pink moon and imagining that pink moon was the, was the foundation argument of a whole movement that at the time didn't happen. And just starting at pink moon as if it was contemporary and making music in that vein, trying to exercise what was 20 years of, of 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 really like swinging cock music. I mean, think about David Lee Roth and and then Elliot Smith and contrast the two and they're both like guys in their 20s trying to impress the world with their with their inner life. And it's like they are different species. You know? I mean, David Lee Roth will never see his like again. But I mean, I mean, well, the first time I heard Elliot Smith, it 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 uh, it scared me. It was so spooky. And so that that concept and I mean, I was making records at the time and coming coming out of a whole lifetime of being raised to uh, or raising myself or being being indoctrinated to think that that as a musician, I was supposed to convey sexual power. I was supposed to convey total confidence and uh, sexual power and total confidence that I didn't, I didn't personally like feel I had or understand. And then all of a sudden as an adult, I mean, I was, I, I was 30 years old before this really became the, the language of pop music. But all of a sudden all around me were young guys, 23 year old, year old guys who were singing in a whisper about their teddy bears and, and, you know, and making their guitars sound as plinky and whispery as they could. And people were, you know, like guys were playing the glockenspiel, not as a joke, but as their primary (laughs) instrument. Like I play the vibes, man. That's my Like like a band that would have like a dedicated unironic accordion player, for example. Right, or I mean, American Analog set, you would go to their shows and, you know, th- th- that was that era of, of bands where you'd go to their shows and, the, and just the noise of the bartender working would, like, overshadow the music. Well, I, Low would be a big example of that. For right, me. right, yeah. where, where you're just, you're in the, you're in the room and, and so much of the tension of the show is this tension that you're carrying, like, please don't let some drunk girl start talking. Please don't let that guy next to me, you know, like if he says one more thing, I'm going to say something to him. And then the guy says one more thing and you're like, Oh God, if he says one more thing, I am going to confront him, you know, and and all this kind of like energy at rock shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I was at the knitting factory one time watching Jason Molina and his and songs Ohio when they were in their quiet phase and uh he was making you know super quiet 
music. And I turned to some guy at the show and was like, hey, man, if you want to talk, why don't you go walk around the block? And the guy was like, it's a rock show. And I said, it's it's clearly not. It's not a rock show. It's a guy that's making quiet music. We can all hear you. I mean, how many of those conversations did we have? And, and, uh, you know, and, and at the time, like I was, I saw Iron and Wine their first time at South by Southwest in a room full of people talking on their phones. <laughs> and he's up there, like, you know, whispering into the microphone in a way that felt, and this was my reaction to it at the time. Like, this is aggressively quiet. You are you are making quiet music in a room full of monsters, and it is a it is a form of attack. You know, nobody's enjoying it. Nobody's it's, uh, enjoying it's almost it. almost subversive. Yeah, you're not enjoying it. <laughs> We're not enjoying it. It is as angry and as uh, and as ugly as if you were standing up there, uh, flinging shit at the audience. You know, it's the, it was that form of that form of corporate power game gamesmanship where you you, you talk really quietly and it makes people lean in. And, mm-hmm. You know, and it just felt like it felt like that in music. Um, but among the people that were making it, there was no there was no conscious or or at least there was no overt acknowledgement that this was a power game or that this was a that this was an aesthetic choice that was born out of anger and frustration and desire to overthrow the old guard. You know, it was presented even, even in the innerest of inner sanctum. It was presented as like, no man, this is my thing. And I love your thing too, man. This is just amazing. It's so beautiful. I mean, I'm standing there in my David Lee Roth pants (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah! Oh. <laughs> I made my daughter watch the video for uh, Unchained the other day. We were watching videos of right, which to her would be like if your if your dad sat you down and played you a Bix spider Bix. No, listen to this part. Listen to this part. <laughs> well, um, we were. It started out. Um, where we were, it was a video going around in the last week or so of this uh, <clears throat> really detached-looking fourteen-year-old girl uh, playing Eruption really, really well. Sometimes oh, you'll see these like I didn't click on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, you'll see these like you know m- musical savant videos going around, and I was like, oh well, let me play the real thing. And of course, if you go to try and find any video of Eruption, first of all, they're, they're like the solo alone is like somewhere between like eight to 45 minutes long. It's different every time. (laughs) And to be honest, when I say they vary in quality, I I guess I mean that in a kind of a a complimentary way, because he doesn't, you know, he's got his bag of tricks. Yeah, certainly. Edward's got the bag of tricks, but, but I mean, he brings something, it feels like he brings something different to it every night. But of course, then that led me like, whoa, 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 let me take a step back. Okay. Oakland, 1981. There are only three videos that exist of this, and I'm going to show you what might be the greatest Van Halen song. She's five, and I'm showing her. I'm making her watch <laughs> when he jumps off and he does the kick. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and, and you know what? It's the canonical Mike Anthony douche thing where he's 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 hitting the A with, with just oh. his right hand and, and pointing at the audience. He's in an open A while he points at the audience and pumps his Jack Daniels hand. <laughs> But, you know, uh, you know, but like, I, I think about like, <clears throat> I'm not going to name names, but some of the folks on that label, I mean, I, I, 
you know, I, you know, everybody likes to name check, you know, Pixies, um, yeah. which is one of my all time favorite bands, but, you know, partly I think because they were able to bring like, for example, I think they're, 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 uh, the thing of their, the video of their tour, the DVD or whatever you call it of their tour was called loud, quiet, loud, which is kind of the joke about Pixies yeah. because they, they were alongside that Albini production that I thought was just perfect, a perfect match for them. The, and, and you know, another one, Silkworm, same thing, this ability yeah. to like be so like, Boy, you think you think stuff in the eighties was in your face? Like welcome welcome to serious in your face music. Yeah. But then it would just drop something like gigantic, which could be so anthemic, but then also so creepily quiet, like inside the same song. Yeah. But but in the quietness you still in gigantic, in anything in Pixies, you still felt the anger. And well very, very unsettled and like just a simmering like Something disturbing was always just right on the surface or very near the surface. Yeah. And I think that that is what makes Elliot Smith compelling. But a lot of that, a lot of that generation of indie rock that I came up in, the menace is not present. Yeah. The, so that's what I was going to say. I mean, a lot of that post rock, I always felt post rock, you know, which is such a weird, like, what does that mean? Post punk, oddly enough, is very meaningful to me because I think yeah. there is something in common of, you know, bands like Mission of Burma or whatever. But like when, when a lot of that post rock, I felt like it was a prank. It really felt like, I mean, I don't mean this in the, in the, um, well, I guess I do mean it this way. It's like in, in the emperor has no clothes, just yeah. in, or the emperor's new clothes, where you have this sense of like, it's, it would be really – I would sound like such a dumbass to go like, I just don't understand Tortoise. Yeah. Like, all of my friends are name-checking this one record with whatever this 15-minute glockenspiel song on it. <sighs> I don't understand it. Godspeed you, Black Emperor. I get. I, yeah, sure. I get big time because it sounds like I would listen to that on the subway. Roar. I would listen to that on the subway and honestly feel like everything – literally in the entire world was about to collapse in ashes <laughs> and they were yeah. great at the dyna dynamics but a lot of the post rock it was so precious it was so you know what i mean like those, well those yeah bands, i mean i the... was i was sharing the stage with a lot of those bands and and getting uh getting a lot of rolled eyes at my theatrics i mean i told you the first time that i ever met josh rosenfeld for in his capacity as a record label owner he sat down with me in a pizza restaurant and said, yeah, your band's not really my thing. And I was the like, hurricanes, oh. the Western state hurricanes. And I was like, Oh, well, why are we here then? <laughs> why did we come to this restaurant to meet? And he said, ah, my wife really likes you. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's good. Oh, and he this was is like, great. I hope you're picking up the tab. <laughs> he said, yeah, but for my taste, like, too many distortion boxes and i was like i have i just have the one and he was like yeah like exactly one is too many his band was very quirky yeah they but they were i mean his i, band, mean, I don't like, mean that in an insulting way but it, it's, no, my, it's challenging their music was i think pretty challenging in some ways my band before the Western State Hurricanes, the Bun Family Players, was exactly in the st in the family of this busy monster, where <clears throat> every song had f not just five different time signatures, but also four different genres. Like the verses were like country swing, and then there was a ska. Then it you know it went into double time ska, and then it went into three quarter time, you know, uh, like oompa waltz chorus and then hardcore 
thrash bridge and you'd get to the you know and then it was about the song was about Bernoulli's principle and you get to the end <laughs> and it was 11 minutes long and and you know and the audience feels got like t-shirts and cds in the back <laughs> yeah the audience feels like they just took a, a, a like a, a, a intensive summer course slow class <laughs> and you're just like thank you thank you all right were you, were you being like deliberately eclectic well, yeah, that was, uh, th- of course, that was, that was our reaction to grunge was uh, grunge was so self-serious. And along with, along, along with the loud bombast through the 80s and 90s was also, tre- you know, tremendous self-seriousness. I mean, as soon, oh, as, God, yeah. as soon as David Lee Roth went away, even the spandex metal dudes became like they forgot that they were that they were clowns. You know, the guy by the late 80s. Right. Those guys in right. those guys in Nelson or whatever. No, seriously, she's actually my cherry pie. Literally, like they really, yeah, they really <laughs> thought they were legitimate artists, and it's like, hey, you guys are a joke on a joke on. Let a me joke. say it again because you might not have heard my words. <laughs> Listen, every rose has its thorn. Yeah, yeah, you're wearing your mom's makeup, like you're legitimately wearing. <laughs> Do you false remember when eyebrow? Motley Crue seemed really dangerous? They never did to me. I swear to you, that first Motley Crue record. It had, didn't it have a pentagram on it. It did have a pentagram, but they were wearing, they were wearing like roach clip feathers <laughs> in their hair, and, and, and Adam I, and the Ants makeup. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and Adam and the Ants felt dangerous to me because, yeah, desperate but not serious. I mean, oh he, man, the, the, that Kings mugging. of the Wild Frontier album still is so odd. It gets but, that was my yeah, favorite it, band, and it gets odder and odder to me every year. He he was mugging for the camera, but he was he he was like dangerously bisexual seeming, but also so beautiful that you felt like, well, yeah. I mean, is, and you got the crazy this... like Burundi drumming and, and two the, drummers, and, yeah, playing that that like cre- I, I guess uh, I'm not sure exactly. Am I using the right word? That yeah, right. The, I mean, the, it was menacing. And then you got like Marco. Marco's playing. Yeah, exactly. He sounds like almost rockabilly in some ways. So that you know that was like gender bendery and, and and but but you know Adam Ant didn't take himself seriously. He was clowning around like a like like fee waybill. But he, and he also understood like each album was. I mean, each record was like a different version of himself for the first like four records. You know, and yeah, he was wearing makeup or whatever. But you know, the, the going from like like pirate guy right. to like you know foppy prince charming. Like it was, he was man. Maybe he's probably he was he was playing to the to the last row, but and it was it was willfully theatrical. But I mean, I've always felt like so much of the stuff in popular music, you know, this is whatever typical teenager thing. But by the time I was a senior, like everything on the charts was just so rough. Like, God damn it! I wish you'd been there. I visited with some friends last night. Uh, we, we should talk about this. I was yeah. saying such complimentary things about Phil Collins. You should have been there. Well, I, you know, Phil Collins really stands up. Yeah, he well, stands up to the test of time in a way that I do not think you can say Glenn Fry does. Phil Collins, that stuff, those gated well, snares, look sound what, killer. Look, okay, and I had to explain to Jason Finn <laughs> what I mean when I talk about, and every, you know, what everybody forgets. Can I say two words? Invisible touch. That's mm-hmm. what everybody forgets. Mm-hmm. And I told him that I told him and Scoots literally every Sunday morning. I am in the shower as long as it takes to listen to Turn It On Again five times. A great tune. And we sat down and we sat down and looked at Wikipedia and listened to it on our phones and, and we we came up with what the time signature is. It's oh. totally bananas. 
What is the time? Oh, depending on how you depending on how you count it, I think it's I think it's like it could be thirteen six or mm-hmm. anyway. But Jason is the pro. On to that. It. But but here's the thing: is like but Jason isn't stuff, the pro. I mean, Jason is obviously a pro. He's a pro drummer, but he's but tight, this man. Is, but this he is tight. But this is the thing about drummers: they're all like these pro timekeepers. But no, no, they're not. They 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 get you know they get a they get in their boxes just like anybody else. Yeah. But you know, when I was a senior, like maybe this nothing is, against Jason, he's great. But I mean, I think he, he should be on our ad hoc board. I think. I've worked, out, I've worked with some of the best drummers in the business. Let me tell you, I got to tell you, and a lot of them, you know, they they get they get in their way of playing, and then it's very hard for them to like, you know, I mean, and, and even the ones that are like, I studied Afro Cuban for two. years. Do you years. think that's really so different from guitar players, though? Well, no, it's that's the that's the thing. It's exactly the same, but but. But drummers, you know, this is their province. This is their their one job. I bet. Will. I bet they're. Um, you know, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna say. Anything. Oh, they're so bad. I'm oh, just gonna so say bad. it's hard to talk. It's yeah. hard to give a note to a drummer sometimes. Jesus, you're, you're, pl- why, you're playing. You're playing a little loud. You're that's playing why a little I kept fast. The fire extinguisher right next to my mom. <laughs> When I, when I needed to give a note to the drummer, I would just hit him with the fire extinguisher first, and then, in the, as the shock wore off, then I would say, "Hey, maybe like maybe like ratchet down the hi hat a little bit," and they'd be like, "But but I," and then we're back into the tune, and it's like a big post traumatic problem. People want us to start a, a music show. Well, you know, it is kind of a music show. I, I mean, uh, maybe we could split it in. We could we could split it into food. Hitler, food, Hitler. Food, Hitler music. <laughs> oh, um, uh, I think me- mental mental illness probably. Mental illness. I want to talk more about Johnny Carson. I don't think we talk about Carson. Oh, I would love. We talk so much about Hitler. We hardly ever talk about Carson. Well, I, I think you, he was he was complicit. Yeah. Well, you know, Carson was you know in a way the Hitler of late night. He's he's a very he's a very uh, like his his uh, televisual progeny, uh, David Letterman. He's a tough nut to crack. It's he, it's, is, he it, breaks it, my heart in a way that David Letterman. I, I think he, he was a very, I don't know if you, you know what they always say, you know, like if you're sitting in a bar, it's okay to look, never look lonely. It's okay to look lonesome, but never look lonely. Oh. I think, I think Johnny Carson was a little lonesome. Well, I think he was lo- desperately lonely. I mean, if you think about all those guys, Jack Parr, uh, uh, Steve Allen, uh, you know, uh, and Letterman too, like none of them, none of them did you feel like went home at night and just, like like sat and and stared at the floor in the way that that you feel like Carson he was so beautiful on TV and and you just get the feeling from everything you you know about him that he got in his car and he drove home and he went into his room and he just sat in a chair and stared at the floor and waited for sleep <laughs> I, 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 right. I, I'm a little bit obsessed with him right now. Did you see that? And There's I, a good docu- a PBS documentary about him. Yeah, I know. It makes you. It makes you. It's it's like one of these Hitler documentaries where you see inside mm-hmm. the man and you're like, oh jeez, oh jeez. If I could go back in time, if I could go back in time and tell him not to invade the Soviet Union, I don't think that would be the right thing to do historically because you would be helping Hitler. I think this is what Wonderbane would say: is you have to go back and kill Hitler's father. Is that his name? What's uh, his name? Wonderbane? What did you Wonder, call him? Wonderbane well, uh, uh, Wolfenschanz? <laughs> Wolfenstein? <laughs> Wolfenschmitz? Wolfenschanz. That's good. Wolfenscheiss. <laughs> Wolfenschanz. He has the toilet paper for eyes. Uh, <laughs> Wolfenschanz Gardner. I mean, I, definitely Hitler's dad was an asshole. I yeah. think Johnny Carson's mother was an asshole. I gotta, I'm going to watch that again tonight. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm 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 super down on his mom. I feel like she's you know you 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 you, you go through history and you 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 make a catalog of all the great war criminals, and you know they're all dudes. We're not going to talk about Johnny Carson, are we? They're all they're all dudes with mustaches, huh? But but what but about Mussolini. He's kind of ineffectual. Well, yeah, you're right. He didn't have. He was, what he was he was sort of a hanger on, don't you think? Uh, well, you know, no, Mussolini was in power a long time before Hitler or Stalin. Mussolini was the, but Mussolini. he's kind of he's like kind of like the, the he's sort of like the Canada of dictators well, or the Oakland the Oakland of dictators. Like if he had been off on his own or like a Franco, if you if you had that just that guy in obscurity, you'd go wow, that guy's a real asshole. But you yeah. know, next to Tojo and, and Hitler and Stalin, he doesn't really stand up, does he? But well, in terms of like atrocity, probably not. But I mean, you let's also go have to the to, big board. Twenty you million. Have, <laughs> <laughs> you also have to 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 think, you know, Italy and Spain. Like the standard of a cheap. Oh, you think we should adjust for the size of the country? Now Stalin well, not, doesn't seem so bad then. Not just the size. I mean, I mean, th- those people are are easily distracted by by a by a nice dinner and a, a nice <laughs> bottle of wine. You know, they get started on an atrocity, and then it's like somebody rings the dinner bell. <laughs> Or in Italy, your car breaks down. You got the Chinese "Ah, guy over here. We got no soup. We'll get we'll get started on that tomorrow, and then they forget. (laughs) I'm a society. Hey, 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 that's a lot of mozzarella. I just all I know is when I was a kid, I remember hearing that he had been he and his mistress had been hung up with piano wire, and I I never really tracked that down, but it it haunted me in my memories that he was hung up in a public square with piano. wire. Oh, you've never seen the pictures? Oh no, there's photos. Oh yeah, that's terrible. It's terrible. It's not a it's not a nice thing. And you know they did they they kind of did the same thing to Ceausescu in uh, in Romania however many years later because of course as you know we've talked before the Romanians very close to the Italians in a lot of ways we got to I'll say I'm going to write all these down another show about <laughs> geography i think where, where john has john ever told you the story about the time that he was in Nebraska he, he saw where Johnny he, Carson was born <laughs> oh but I, but so 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 the bun family players mm. definitely were a reaction to the self-seriousness of Winger and also of, you know, Soundgarden. And in a way, I mean, the part of the mythology of Seattle is that Mudhoney and a lot of the early grungers were like so take the piss and so fun, you know, like that they were fun. This was the Everett True version Mudhoney, of... Mudhoney was so silly. Well, no, in, yeah. in a good way. I keep it out of my face. I mean, that stuff was fun. It was, it it was fun, but it was the kind of like I don't know. Being in the middle of it did not feel fun at all. Even even before the uh, the big explosion. No, because it was so. It was so fuck you that the fuck you was the fuck you was like a fire hose of fuck you. It didn't feel to me like we are saying fuck you to them. It felt to me like they were saying fuck you to everybody. And that there's something less fun about that. Certainly not as fun as you imagine like being at the first red hot chili peppers shows. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like or whatever. Like the Yeah, the, yeah, okay. I bet the, the yeah, yeah. The Southern California version of punk rock fun, which was like versus the Seattle version of punk rock fun, which was like Oh, like seeing the Buzzcocks in the early days or something. Would have been a, would have been hilarious and fun. And up here it was you know it was so attended to that whole we're losers, we suck 
thing that at least for me and maybe it's maybe that it is that at 21 years old i was a massive downer and i failed to see the kind of fratty humor of it but but it you know it felt it felt real like like kind of college radio superior it it felt it felt in all its fun like it was it almost felt, like it was, but it was like trying to appear unselfconscious which may, but when in fact it was deeply self-conscious well, just ways? just the fact that it was so reverent of the Stooges, you know, just mm. just the idea that it that there was there was a kind of reverence in its irreverence that was exclusionary of most. You know, like it, it was like it was woohoo, but you oh, but also you don't get it. Mm. And the thing about the Chili Peppers, you imagine those early shows where they're just like we're white guys playing funk music and we're playing it fast. And the one guy can't sing. Like there's no, there's no subtext. There's barely a text. It's just like let's take acid and dance. And and with the with the grunge thing, it was much more like, what do you know? <laughs> let's, these have, let's have some cough syrup and and scowl a little, a little bit. And like and like, oh, if you don't if if you don't have the following records, then you're not going to get what this is about. And so it's all you're already out. You're already outside. You can't be inside it because the only guys that are inside it are the two guys that are that have decided like what the canonical records are. And that was my that was my take on it. And so a lot of those bands in the middle period of Seattle before indie came out, they were we were we were spasmodically reacting to grunge. Grunge was so oppressive. And particularly the heroin element. I mean, there's nothing less fun than you take all those guys and then you make them junkies. Like, there's nothing less fun than that. It's not fun at all. And so, you know, the Bun family players were like, let's play every kind of music at the same time and we'll call ourselves the Bun family players so no one can possibly like us. Like, <laughs> you could not, you could not sell a, a single t shirt for a band called the bun family players there's nothing cool about it and it and and this busy monster was was the same like so uncool and of course we were hoping that that hyper uncoolness would be cool because you know following the the inextricable logic of punk as you plummet into profound uncoolness you get closer to the source of truth and that isn't the case. We were just deeply uncool and, 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 and impossible to listen to and enjoy. Well, you know, one thing about, um, steering away from punk rock, the, uh, one, thing, one thing you, um, one, one, we need, we need this to go out. The, um, mm, we, um, uh, you know what? I, I think about the, the bands that I, I'm, that I, uh, that we've talked about that we both really enjoy, but especially the ones that, that you've mentioned as being very influential on your, on your taste and your style and, and your so forth. Um, you, I'm just starting a couple down here. You got ZZ Top, ACDC, Def Leppard. No way. I sound on. like such a tool. <laughs> I sound like a guy who, who, who puts his clippers on his balls. Don't, don't blame the index card, John. Um, ZZ Top, ACDC. No, no, but also like, like Judas Priest. I mean, you know, or for me, I mean, um, I'm sorry. They're, I guess they're considered punk rock. For me, like maybe like like the Ramones, or um, you know, certain. You know what though? I mean, what, one thing that all those bands have in common, you could. I mean, like certainly Def Leppard had their ridiculously pretentious moments, but there's a um, simple is the wrong word, 
maybe instead of simplicity, maybe I want to say directness. There's certainly a lot of directness with ACDC. There's, you know what I mean? But, but what's, I guess what I'm saying is like, that's so, that's so, all of that is so, even when, you know, Rob Halford's singing about Grinder, you know, looking for meat, like to me, listening to that stuff, there's, su- there's still such a directness to it. It's why the first Ramones record to me still, it's goofy and stuff, but those three chords or four chords on some songs, I mean, that's overstated, but you know what I mean? There's a certain directness. And to, I, say, I, to say there are four chords on that record is to overstate it. Well, I, do you love me? <laughs> I think that's a, that's a minor, but the, um, but, but you know what all those have in common is they, they have a directness. And if you take out the part where you add this layer of outsiderness or, you know, that, that you choose to, you know, that over time you cling to that outsiderness and let's not get started on that. But I think sometimes people are a little embarrassed to like things that are direct just mm-hmm. as some people are embarrassed to like something that's a little Byzantine. Like some people don't want to like uh, last night I, we were at a bar, our second bar but last nobody night. Nobody likes Steely Dan except everybody likes Steely Dan. Well, I mean, I think a, about 49% of the population likes Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I've met women, I've your, met women your, your who friend, claim, claim to like Steely Dan. Your I, friend, I, Allison Ogosti. What? She likes Steely was, Dan. I, I don't know. I could swear that she likes Steely Dan. Am I pronouncing it right, Alan Agosti? See, that's a, that's a perfect example. Agosti, Agosti, Agostino, Agostino, Agostino. Oh, so she's a she's like a uh, she's a lobster. Yeah, Langostino. <laughs> I was a, listening to a the, little bit, little bit ping pong. I was listening to hey, hey, <laughs> when hey. you hear your family, when you leave, a fuck you. Hey, your friend Bambino came hey. by. He said, "Fuck you, Hospitaliano. I was listening to the first Black Sabbath record the other day. Not the, you know, not this, not right. Paranoid, but Black Sabbath, eponymous. The one with the creepy, like, Hieronymus Bosch-looking cover? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Well, yeah. Sorry, anyway, go ahead. I'll look it up. Black Sabbath on it. And um, there, there, are, there are a lot of great tracks uh, on there, and but there's also... There's also some embarrassing moments on it where you get the sense that Ozzy is trying to be scary. Oh, yeah. He understands. They all understand that they're making a new kind of music and that it is scary sounding scary music. And Ozzy is riffing in his kind of like, oh, no, no, don't kill me. No. And he's like, trying to sound like he's being tortured by the devil <laughs> and and maybe in 1969 you'd hear that and and it would you know for a lot of people it would be genuinely frightening but you would have to be about 10 years old i mean i understand why why sabbath was kind of panned by the critics initially because we listen to it now and it just sounds like sabbath that's how that's how it's meant to sound, and in the context of the later Sabbath records, you get you get its place, and, and you understand what Ozzy's doing. But if you heard it, if you heard it like for the first time, you would say like, "Oh, it's some guys trying to make Halloween music. Or they're, they're they're trying too hard to be spooky, and it and it just sounds dumb." And and yet. Like they are one of the, they're one of my favorite bands. Cer- certainly, like a massive influence on me personally in terms of like who I worship, in terms of like God versus the devil. <laughs> um, do I think fairies wear boots? I yes, I do. You gotta believe I have me. A, you gotta believe I have me a, now. I have it on good authority. 
Um, but you know, but yeah, going back to that record and trying to listen to it, trying to listen to that record and trying to listen to Zeppelin one with fresh ears as though you had not only never heard those records, but never heard those bands. And you're, and you're a guy who's just like buying records in 1968 and like, Oh, let's check out these new bands. And you, you know, it's not that hard to imagine why music critics were like, what? Mm-hmm. This is really like, we've gone too far now and the blues and heavy rock is being made for, for kids. Now this is for kids. And it's only later. It's only because I guess we were kids when we heard it first, but also like what those bands became, we can go back to those records and say like, yeah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're pretty, I mean, you know, not to overuse the term clown act, but <laughs> in, co- in contrast to like how serious that, how serious the blues were being taken in 1966, pretty, th- that, that music's pretty funny, really. Well, I'm looking at the cover. It's not the one I was thinking of, but it's, it's funny because it, uh, it looks like there's this one Norwegian black metal band that um, has the most ridiculous video I've ever seen in my life. I, I've linked to it numerous times. Uh-huh. And it's uh-huh. this it's this band that's created their own mythology about how they're they're kind of like druids protecting a kingdom of their own design. And there's These are vi- the guys that swing their beards, right? Are they swinging their beards? <laughs> no. No, oh. in the video they're standing uh, like knee knee deep in a in a Czech creek. They're like in brackish water with their guitars not plugged in, hiding behind piles of leaves and kind of being druids. <laughs> sounds like sounds like the first Keen video. <laughs> Communing with bushes, if you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, it, it's it's it, it is weird though. Like I don't know, I don't know why I keep thinking of this. I think we talked about this before, but like it is funny. Like what feels dangerous to people at yeah. a certain time, and yeah, yeah. In, in retrospect, I mean. God, I think we've talked about this too much probably, but like Judas Priest and the whole like the lawsuit, you know, that they had right, to go the, through. The, the suicide, do it. And like when I was, I, I mean, I, rem- I, I, everybody remembers backmasking. Everybody of our age remembers hearing about backmasking and you play yeah. your records backwards and sometimes it was deliberate. But my grandma, who was, she was not yet Pentecostal. She was on the slide to Pentecostal. But, you know, she would, you know, buy cassette tapes from TV ministers and she, you know, would share one with me about like what, what all of this music actually meant. And it, it, at the time, <clears throat> it felt so booga booga, like in the same way as Dungeons and Dragons felt really booga booga at the time. Right. And you go, right. oh my God, in retrospect, could you, can you imagine in retrospect and setting you aside, someone who actually literally would play in a sewer, like, <laughs> but for most of us, we were, <laughs> we, were did. we were sitting around with dozens of dice and books and like <laughs> casting spells. Yeah. I mean, we weren't like, you know, throwing people in the back of a van. It was, <laughs> it could hardly have been more nerdy. And now, I mean, when you go back and listen to some of the stuff, all the stuff that seems so dangerous, like at a certain time, I mean, you but know, you can it, also understand like somebody, your grandmother's generation, all of a sudden it is the, it is all the rage among teenagers to be practicing witchcraft. Basically, uh, you can see where it freaked him out. I mean, there isn't anything comparable now culturally, except, except that the internet is like a, like a blanket, uh, there be dragons for old people. They don't know what the kids are doing on there sending uh snapchat pictures of their cooters to each other but but you think about i mean i remember walking home cooter, from school can i capture that cooter cooter snaps <laughs> cooter snaps oh my god that's our app cooter there's, snaps <clears throat> there's no a in it it's snps 
Oh, we just made a billion dollars. <laughs> Get Marco on the phone. Cooter snaps. Cooter snaps. We'll sell it to. We'll set it to. Uh, sell it to favor. We'll sell it to favor. Whoever bought it. We'll sell it to MySpace, and it'll be worth a million dollars. Billion dollars. Anyway, I remember walking home from school during the Dungeons and Dragons uh, hysteria. 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 Uh, hysterical. I think is what you're thinking of. It's that. Um, that's when after he lost the arm. Yeah. Pour some shit on me. And I. Uh, I was walking home, you know, seventh grade or something like that, and really, really, really focusing all of my psionic ability to test whether or not I actually did have some kind of magic. Oh, really? And I'm, you know, I'm walking home by myself. It's 40 degrees below zero. I'm there's, there's no one on the streets, not even cars because no one is, no one's crazy enough to go out. And I'm, you know, I walked home from school every day and it was a couple of miles. And on these really, really cold days, I was, it was like I was in another world. I was in another. Uh, the The environment was so because when it's that cold, like the the air freezes kind of in front of you, and you're in this. And, mist. and, and like there's there's such a it must be so uh, there's something less than monochromatic. Like <laughs> right, like right. It's, it's just it must be purely like like white out and so cold that you. I mean, I've been so cold sometimes that I get confused. And yeah, you must and that's be exactly you practically right. hallucinate, right? Yeah, and on, on this particular day, I got home and and unusually my sister was home she was never home after school i don't know whether she was homesick or what it was but i got i got home and my sister was there normally i would have been i would have been arriving home by myself and i was my extremities were numb and i was like completely like like you're saying groggy not sure what you know kind of confused and i was struggling to get the key in the lock and she opened the door and she was like my god what are you doing outside and she rushes me in and she put me in the bathtub and you know my sister was what i was 12 or something so she was nine and she didn't usually take control take command of of me that way take command of the situation but she got me in, got me undressed got me in a hot bathtub and was just like what are you crazy what were you doing outside and the reality was i was out there walking home pretty slowly, like focusing my attention on making magic. If I could just, you know, like it, it, it's a, it was a version of that. Show me a sign, God, if you are real, show me a sign. But I was, you know, I was like conjure an orb. Con- sorry, sorry. Just conjure. If you can just conjure one orb, then that will be the beginning I conjure a glowing orb and you know, I'm really, really working hard because I imagined that magic might be the solution to my, to my girl problems. It might be a solution to, I think that's so much more common than anyone wants to admit <laughs> to dealing with girl, uh, with dealing with bullies. You know, this was at the time in my life when I was kind of the most bullied and the most, it was, it was because I started kindergarten when I was four it's right at that puberty corner. Oh, where, that's where you really start to notice the six or eight months yeah, difference. You, you notice those guys that are a full year older than you in the same grade, and they're like, they have deep voices now, and they are growing mustaches. They and, look like teamsters. And, and I'm out walking in the cold trying to conjure an orb. <laughs> <coughs> and 
but I really, I mean, I, and you know, and I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not just some dumb kid that gets swept up in a fad. I was like this, this proximity to magic and to this realm of dice and everybody talking about magic, like it's serious business and, and, and people talking about it in time magazine and, and like adults concerned about kids toying with Yeah, you might see like a local news thing or a 2020 thing about mainly, I I think mainly the satanic quote unquote aspects of it. But all of that convinced me if the adults are so scared of it, that there's something to something to it. And so if, and I believed about myself my whole life, if there was anyone who was born with magic, it had to be me for the love of God. It had to be me. If there had, if there were really mutants, and there had been some other kid at my school who had a legitimate mutation where he had laser beams shoot out of his eyes or uh, uh, touch you and make you cold and have a cool white stripe in your bangs or uh, wow. control metal, uh, make make metal fly through the air or stop I'm, I'm getting kind of a boner, John. If there, were, if there were really kids that had those skills and I had not been one of them, I was a normal, I would, I would have... Oh, you would have been heartbroken. Not only would I have been heartbroken, Merlin, but I would have gone to war against mutants. <laughs> I think everybody does this. I think everybody does this. I, expl- I tried to explain Dungeons and Dragons to my daughter today. Um, we were out playing, and that's uh, you know whatever. But like uh, like it's been for the last week or so. She's Captain America, and I'm Iron Man. And then I told her that I, if it's okay with her, I wanted to make a switch because I'm kind of getting more into Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was explaining why that's weird for me. <laughs> She's fine. But I was I was trying to explain how like in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, this actually is kind of on topic weirdly in two ways. Um, on the one hand, I think everybody does like to think that they can do magic, and I think everybody in their teen years, whether they, they would never call it that, like you might not you might not call it that, but the ability, like for example, she is convinced that she can know the future, like she knows that she can know, she knows that things are going to happen, and she's constantly sure. wrong. But sure. she you know she throws out <laughs> those and remembers where she did predict the future, right. Um, but, but like, I think, and I've, I've talked to lots of people about this, whether that's like hypnotizing, figuring out how to hypnotize girls or figuring out how to like make a, make a bully have diarrhea. Like everybody's, it's a time when your life is so confused and full of like dark gray magic that like you might as well piss on a spark plug because you never know what might work. Right. And you concentrate on so few things other than things that make you want to masturbate, for example, that, like that's the closest thing you get to meditation when, when you're 13 is getting into the spot where you want to produce an orb. Right, or stop time. Uh, stop time and eat all the I cookies. was convinced I could do these things. <laughs> yeah. I used to sit and, and look, and I would, I would try to... I, the colors of cars had a big bearing on my life because I would use it to try and make decisions and see signs of God, but I would also use it to test whether or not I could predict the future. You would say, the next car that comes around the corner is going to be yellow, and that yeah. means that I'm going to take a left instead of a right and go play video games? Well, or I, I, will, I will call her, or... More, oh, yeah. more subtly, she will call me. Right. Yellow VW. That's what I'm looking for. Uh-huh. Slug but bug, slug bug. I also, punch buggy. I had to also explain to her though, like, uh, why do I do this, John? I need to get, I need to get, I need to get an older brother, not a younger child. But I was explaining, the, I was explaining classes to her and how right. like you can have different kinds of fighters. But I was saying it's, uh, I explained to 
her. I'm, I'm right now. I am looking at my at my Dungeons and Dragons dice. I'm pulling them out. I've They're been right feeling there. so much more drawn between Adventure Time and Doctor Strange. Like I've been feeling more and more drawn back into it. And I'm thinking, I, I, what, I feel like we need to get Will Wheaton on this podcast. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Here. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll. You're gonna conjure pollen storm if you're not careful. Oh, oh, <laughs> save versus permanent virginity. <laughs> oh, I forgot that I have a, I have a green twenty sided die in addition to my all my. Crystal. I predicted that. I knew that. Uh, yeah. I knew that. But I was telling, like, it's funny that, like, I, uh, like, I've been reading this thing called Infinity Gauntlet, which is like just full of like crystals and magic and Doctor Strange making the fruity hand thing and like and but it, and here's the funny thing like when we we played the most boneheaded Ramones version of D&D that you could play there's so much we didn't do we didn't do psionics right. we didn't follow turns oh sure sure we played we just didn't do you didn't, psionics. Even, you didn't even really roll for anything other than damage no like yeah. nobody wanted to be a cleric god nobody wanted to be an illusionist who wanted to be a cleric it was it was a universal joke like you might as well, well be a ima- second level those, fern imagine those dms that were actually rolling to determine what their characters did next like characters in the do the ghosts oh, a game, attack like a, what do they call it a game game playing or something like that wasn't yeah, there like a weird term which should be like like being god and job at the same time yeah instead of being a dm who's like well the the, the ghosts put on a crown of might and they turn your bones to jelly now what do you but here's the beauty part is you could also play by yourself <laughs> right it's, uh-huh. a, it's a, the D D version of talking to yourself you could you could make your own dungeon dungeon yeah, like some people play chess with themselves right yes i mean yeah, do they take on a persona do they roll for that uh yeah well there was a, there was a, what was the the most recent um didn't I see a movie where they where the bad guy was playing chess with himself Oh I think I got to tell you I mean I think if you're looking to be some kind of a bond villain chess should figure heavily I don't think I don't think nice people choose to play chess I think they're challenged to chess Chess to me is one of those things it's it do you know what I mean like, They're called to it like the ministry To me chess is like wearing a narrow jacket you know, it's one of those things where, like, like you're a Bond villain. Like, if you right. have your own island or a narrow jacket or, like, you stroke a cat, certainly these are great indicators yeah. that you're probably I, a Bond villain. I really wanted to be a chess kid. You know, I wanted being, to be a high IQ kid. Being a, chi- being a chess kid is like being a high IQ kid. You get to wear a, you get to wear a, a dark turtle You get interviewed? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can have, like, crazy Bob Dylan Einstein hair. And uh, and everybody's like, you know, they it's it's like it's like having magic. You're the chess kid. Like you get to, you, you get to hang out. You get to hang out with grownups. Yeah, exactly. You are immune to the to the uh, the <laughs> vagaries of childhood. You can go right to grown up status and skip all the in between. But chess was just like, ugh, ugh, I've never gosh. won a game of chess in my entire life. All that thinking ahead and then thinking ahead ahead and then you still get your ass handed to you by just like just a random 30 year old who's not even trying and you're like fuck i don't have this i don't have this gift that, right. okay now, now this this gets back to magic like there are some people who think like being able to come up with a witty remark seems like magic there are some people who think being able to play drums and not be stupid is magic and and like to me Never that seen is it. but uh but but to me like seeing people who not only understand and remember the rules of chess but but can but can do it uh, it completely boggles my mind they might as well be teleporting to me yeah do do you know what i mean it's in the same way that that somebody like if you've uh, seen one of those videos of pablo picasso even way after his prime drawing or painting and you just watch him make a few lines turn into something 
even if it's shitty Picasso, it's still like mind blowing. That's yeah. how I feel about watching people play chess. I, I don't understand how they, you have to have a different brain to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that was not the way that was not the way for us to escape childhood. And in fact, neither of us did. We had to endure every painful moment of it. Here's the other thing. Um, Think about we and I'm sorry we haven't talked about Johnny Carson, but but but, but if you think about like um, all the all the like the the, the bugbears if you like right. of of the 1970s and 80s, and you look at stuff like D and D, okay, like heavy asthmatic kids with dice. You look at Motley Crue, I mean like fifth generation glam with you know um, uh, temporary tattoo Satanism. Right. You, you look at all that stuff, and then think about who the real fucking maniacs are. A guy who's in the Rotary Club that dresses up like a clown. John Wayne Gacy did not have pentagrams. No, he did not. And he did not. You know what I'm saying? You think about And so you see these guys in the dusters wearing pancake makeup and going, ooh, spooky. But yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's the banality of these. Evil. Um, here we go. <laughs> he can set your watch by it. <laughs> yes, the banality or banality oh do you say horse vessel evil? you don't say horse vessel lied is that right Leidenstrom. 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 yeah uh i do not i i, I don't uh, you know all i'm what? saying is that the really evil ones the re- no you're not going to acknowledge it are you allowed to talk about horse vessel in germany today sure okay but like I mean, you can't sell stuff on eBay. You couldn't sell like a horse vessel uh, forty five or something. Well, you know, I don't know what those rules are. I think you can talk about Nazism. It's all they talk about in in their their Spiegel. But uh, but you just can't talk admiringly about it. I think you could probably. Boy, that's subtle. Think, yeah, it is. I think you could probably sell that stuff if you were selling it. If you were selling it to a museum of oh, anti- as long as you're not do- history, it's history. educational or cultural and not for its prurient value. Right, right. Hmm. I, but but again, I don't know. I don't know all. I don't know all of that. I mean, I was thinking today. I was thinking today, Merlin, that maybe maybe what I'm going to do. Here's here's my plan. It's a little bit water world. Is, it, is this one of your new thought technologies? This is a new thought technology. <laughs> what if I get an old an old oil tanker, like a, like a, I'm talking about a ship, a giant ship, and I construct an arena on it, on the, an, an open arena that seats, let's say 15,000 people on the deck of a, of a giant oil tanker. And then I park it in international waters and I hold tournaments <laughs> where teams representing various religions stick fight to the death and we it's and a we, it's a it's a uh, it's a secular no wait non it's a non-secular neighborhood stick fight that's right so for instance like park it park it somewhere now and then the, the first question i had was are there international waters in the mediterranean or is the Mediterranean so small that all of this? There's, there, there's a there's a lot of stick fighting Catholics there. I've got to guess. Well, so that's what I'm saying. So we oh, you're the, in between. You got the Arabians. You, right. you got the Papists. It's you all right the there. Right itself. Park the ship somewhere off of Crete, and you say, okay, you know, and because the internet is international, you don't have to you don't have to go on any national television. You just <sighs> say on the internet, okay, we are accepting applications for teams from 
Palestine, Israel, Lebanon, uh, you know, Orthodox Greece. It's, it's almost Ke- like the opposite of the Olympics. It's not to create brotherhood. It's to settle old scores. On That's a boat, right. On ship, settle, ship. settle old scores. And there are no restrictions. Like, put together a team of five. You can, you can make it all of the, be- the best mixed martial artists in your country. <laughs> or, like, all of the most ruthless, like, criminals or whatever. There's there are no limitations. And we're just going to settle. We're just going to settle some stuff. I'm not saying that any, we're not actually like, we're not settling anything. You're not resolving anything forever. Cause it's probably going to be an annual event. You're going to have to amortize right. the purchase of the uh, ship. Yeah. We're not settling anything in law. Right. We're just culturally settling grievances. Like let's get, let's get the Palestinian team and the Israeli team you get, in you here. Get the Irish, you get the, uh, the, huh? the right. Oh, the, you couldn't keep the Irish away. They love to fight. They'll fight the, everybody. The they're, they're mad about everything. The, the Norwegians, you know, the, the course. With, John, with, you dig a little bit into that and you start going to those, those countries that, uh, that, uh, got smacked onto Germany, the pre-World War one tribes, you bring them out and get the, have them to bring their, their regional check sticks. That's and right. here's the thing, everybody, and the listener is thinking, how are you going to make money off of this if it's only five people? No, because they're going to bring their fans. They're going to be wearing their scarves from Palestine well, or uh, sure. well, Manchester sim- United or whatever. We're simulcasting this around the world pay-per-view. Because of the internet. That's right, because the internet. There's 50, and you, we probably design an app, you know, uh, uh, that uh, you could watch it on your phone or on your other, uh, your beer. Uh, well, I bet you Marco's looking doctor. for projects. And so, and what I'm saying is then... You come out and your uniform is just you're you're all wearing t-shirts with the emblem of your religion on the shirt. So you get you either get a you got a the star of David's against the crescent moons, and you get the you know the the Catholic cross versus the Orthodox cross, and you know everybody is just out there like you know exactly what who the teams are, and they're just they're just stick fighting the shit out of each other on this on this water worldian. Super tanker, mm. simulcasting around the world. And now, this, is, this is not something where we're going to sit and have summits about a border dispute that's been going on for <clears throat> 45 <laughs> years. No. No. It's no. going to fight that it's shit It's going to be hitting people with a fucking stick. And I'm guessing that over time, the, the, the most militant people of every culture, the people who are most agitating for violence in their respective cultures would gradually not not immediately they would immediately you would see that this was just a that this was just a publicity or that this was just some some like gross uh blood oh, sport. like a sensationalistic way for john uh, for, yeah. the, for super train to make a buck right it's just a sensationalist american super train based uh you know prop, like fake problem solver yeah. but over time if we kept at it Gradually, the most militant parts of every culture would start directing their energy toward fight boat. You'd stop spending, as you said, John, if you bring neighborhood stick fights back, we're going to spend less time at the mall buying football jerseys. And we're, it's, going to be, it's going to be somewhere between like the Hunger Games, Logan's Run, and uh, either of the two world wars. Yep. There's, but, but I mean, but it's going, to be, it's going to be something with an end, right? Yeah. I mean, for that year, or for maybe for that season, if you like. Sure. I mean, it's contained on the boat, and the and who what, the winner wins. Will there be tanker seasons, or will it be a rolling season? How would that work? Well, because it's a boat, we can go. We can go. You know, like in the in the the northern winter, we can go down to the Falkland Islands. We can go over to. I mean, think about all the different 
stick I fighting. You could do I in the Indian some, Ocean. I could see some Protestants signing on for a pretty long cruise just to watch oh their God. folks fight. Just going around the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Just, just the, just the people in uh, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Mississippi, Squaw, yes. uh, Texas, just, just, just park off the coast of Galveston, and people would be settling Texas grievances for an entire year. Oh my God, John! This, th- it, it extends on so many levels, and plus, everybody likes cruises, right? So, so you could get on there, and this, this could. could the thing is, I, I almost wish you'd seen that Hunger Games uh, uh, movie because it, it's kind of similar. Like, where basically you get people from all of these, as they say, districts, and they come in and they are compelled to fight each other to death. But I think in this case, it's if, like a sa- it's a sacrifice situation, right? It where is. You- it is. It's it it, it is. It's a, it's a dystopian unlike super train and in this case maybe it's something like yeah maybe you might get some better food but you're definitely going to get a boat ride out of it and somebody's going to get their ass kicked and but- this is it's all completely voluntary because what we're trying to do is attract the people who have this in their blood who want to settle their grievances this way we're giving them a venue for that score settlers score settlers so think about all the guys from finland not to mention the people of central germany who traditionally went and fought other people's battles I mean, now that that's a good question. Could we? Should there be ringers? I don't know. I, oh, I don't like think in the Civil so. War, you could you could have a guy go fight for you. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there should. I think you should. I think there should be like a, te- a test of faith in addition, uh, like kind of as you, you like get measure on board, people's but, noses or something like that. Wait, <laughs> yeah, I think so. You take a look at their yeah, at their right. Johnsons. Um, <laughs> it would be open to women. Maybe you court. could have them wear clothing that's tight fitting enough to see if if the women or the men have been circumcised. Right. You just, just, just so you know where you stand. Plus, let's be honest, it adds a sexual component to it that I think people would really enjoy. Oh, hello. T-shirts with the religious emblems. Yes. And no pants. <laughs> Finish him. <laughs>